Thanks for joining us today on the Port City Church Podcast. With multiple campuses existing within Southeastern North Carolina, our mission is to be helpful and hopeful as we reach people and help them walk with God. To learn more about the heart behind our church, we encourage you to visit us at portcity.church. Well, church, today we are uh, finishing up our series that we've entitled We the Church, looking at what it means for us to be the church. And uh, today I couldn't be any more excited uh, for what we get to participate in and what we get to hear today. Uh, And today we don't just get to hear from one communicator. Today we get to hear from two amazing communicators from our church. And as we've entered into this this banner of We the Church, where we're kind of calling out that, yo, we're, we're the church, right? The church isn't a place, it's a people. I think it's uh, so appropriate for us to get to hear from some of the people of our church, some of the staff members of our church who are doing some amazing ministry um, every day that we oftentimes in this room, we don't get to all see together. And so today, in just a little bit, you're going to get to hear from one of our student ministry pastors, Jeff Banks. Hello. Can we give it up for Jeff Banks? (laughs) Jeff is, he's such a good dude. He's so authentic. Uh, He loves Jesus and he loves to help high school students and middle school students follow Jesus. And that's a gift, right? That's awesome. Before Jeff comes, we also get to hear from someone who's uh, never really been on the stage in this capacity. I think she's been on the stage one time before. We've gotten to hear from Jeff before, but this person is someone who has made an incredible impact in the life of our church. Um, She, I think, started in missions uh, and moved into our faith formation team where she's really focused on training and development of our staff of our people, of our church. And in a lot of ways, um, she has helped to train and develop myself and my wife in some really deep and formative ways. Um, She is the real thing. And when she talks about her walk with God, it's so clear. It's so, it's tangible, it's seeable. And today, I think y'all are gonna get to experience that and see it and hear it and have a beautiful picture of what it looks like for us to be the church. So since it's her first time on the stage, church, would y'all help Welcome to the stage, our friend, your friend, Laurelyn Shaw, everybody. Come on, Laurelyn, let's go. Thank you. Good morning. This is actually my second time I was here at the nine. But nonetheless, I'm grateful to be here. For the first time with you, uh, welcome this morning. Uh, it really is an honor for me to, to be here with you um, as we learn and grow and worship together this morning. Um, I would love to start us in prayer or start this part in prayer as we continue to just orient ourselves this morning. So if you'd pray with me, please. Father, thank you. Um, Thank you for so much. <laughs> thank you for who you are. And um, God, thank you for your love for us. Um, I think of that line in the song that says that you, you reach for me, God. Um, you are eager to reach for us. You have come after us. You have pursued us. And it is our invitation to, <clears throat> to take that and to follow you. Um, God, I pray that we would do that maybe even in new ways this morning. Lord, I thank you that you have been preparing hearts and minds uh, even as we have entered this space this morning. 
And uh, we know that you continue to move and be at work. And so, Lord, I just, um, I pray that we would be a people who have eyes to see and ears to hear, Lord. We don't want to miss what you're saying. We don't want to miss what you're doing. Help us to not be distracted, Lord, but to listen. And for those here in the room, would you pray that prayer for the people sitting to your right and to your left as we continue to think, not just me, but we, that they would be people who have eyes to see and ears to hear. Father, we commit this time to you. And again, we say thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, so I have, um, <laughs> I've grown up in the church, and so uh, sometimes scripture feels very familiar to me. So last year, uh, about last spring actually, I decided to go through the Gospels, and I tried to read them with fresh eyes, because sometimes when things become too familiar, you really miss what's in it, and uh, we know that the Lord's Word is living and active and always fresh, and so I was trying to have fresh eyes, and so as I came to it, I noticed, I think I just, I've always known this, but I saw it for the first time, how many um, agrarian references Jesus used in his teaching. Uh, He talked a lot about farming and seeds and the soil and all that good stuff, which makes sense because the people he was speaking to were farmers, and uh, they were an agrarian society, and so this, he was using what they knew and what they used every single day to understand what he was trying to teach them. And I just think that's such a gift and really uh, just another indication of how personal Jesus is with even us. And uh, so he said things like, you are the salt of the earth. Um, he talked about the, the farmer who went out and sowed good seed in his soil, in his, in his field, He talked about um, how the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And as he would say these things, he wasn't wasn't really talking about the seed and the soil. He wasn't necessarily talking about the farmer, Um, but he was talking about them and his kingdom and who he was and what was going to happen and what his vision was. And uh, I just think that's really beautiful. Um, He used something that they use to understand something that he was telling them and he wanted them to see. Well, I want to understand that. I wanted to, to really um, to experience it, I guess. You know, I think scripture is something that's meant to be engaged with, and I really wanted to engage in a new way, uh, but I'm not a farmer, and I really don't have a desire to be a farmer, um, but I, I thought maybe in a very small um, suburban effort to understand some of these things, I could take up houseplants. Um, and so that's what I did. And um, I've actually learned a lot from growing plants. I have several of them in my home, and uh, I've learned a lot about how to care for them and um, how to celebrate their growth. <laughs> going to learn a lot about me. I'm really exposing myself here. Um, but uh, yes, so I love my house plants. But I, last year, I had one in particular um, that by the looks of it, was not thriving under my care. And uh, I was, you know, giving it the sunlight that it needed and the water and all that good stuff, but I thought, there must be something that I'm missing. So I decided to do a little research, and as we do, I pulled up a YouTube video, 
and um, watched some plant expert talk about how to care for this particular plant. And one thing that he said, uh, he said a couple things that were really interesting, but something that really stuck with me was he said, you basically just have to manage the growing conditions. And I thought, oh, that's so interesting. Uh, and he talked more about that, you know, it's like making sure they get enough sunlight, making sure they get just the right amount of water, making sure that the soil is, you know, nutrient rich and all of these things. What I thought was interesting is that very little of the, the care of this plant had to do with the actual plant. Uh, it was actually all of the conditions around it. Um, I also thought it was interesting that, in, in all honesty, I just thought dirt served as a place to stabilize the roots so that the plant would grow up and not fall over. Um, but did you know that there is much life and activity in really good soil? <laughs> and actually, what's in good soil is what uh, serves to provide nutrients for the roots and helps them grow to do what they do so that the plant can grow and do what it does and produce its fruit. And so there's actually a lot more going on in there, um, and it's not just dirt. Um, so I thought that was really a fascinating little tidbit. Another thing that I learned is that you're supposed to repot your plants. So about every year to about a year and a half, it's, it's a good idea to... Um, to repot your plant into uh, maybe a bigger pot or maybe just a same pot but some fresh soil. So some of the reasons for that is that the soil can get really compact. And, uh, and so then when you go to water it, um, have you ever watered it and the water just comes right through? <laughs> That's because the soil is so compact it can't absorb the, uh, the water to feed the roots, to, to um, provide the nutrients that it needs. Also, the soil gets really... Um, depleted of its nutrients, so then it does just sort of become dirt, and it's not actually feeding the plant. Sometimes the roots get so overgrown that they start to, um, to grow into each other or around. They can get really entangled, which could sort of choke the plant. Um, or in some cases, and I, I can attest that this is true, they'll grow up and out of the soil to get out because they're just growing so much they need space, and there's no room for them to grow. So when you repot your plant, you can, um, you can add some fresh soil, you can spread the roots, you can give it more space to grow, um, and it, it's, it, it's a part of managing the conditions, the growing conditions for the plant. So in my desire to, to really embrace this experience but also care for my plants, last spring I decided to, uh, to care for them, and I had about a half bag of potting soil in my garage, and so I grabbed that, and um, I started to gather all of my plants and uh, took them outside to my backyard. And it was, uh, once I had them all lined up, I mean, we really had a small congregation. That's when I started to realize I might be a plant lady, because I had a lot of plants. And um, it was, uh, it was eye-opening. And so anyway, so I sat down, and I had about a half bag of potting soil, and I thought, okay, I'll just kind of grab a I'll scoop um, a little bit, and I'll just kind of add a little bit to each one. And so I did that. I started doing that and um, lining them up when I was done. And I remember that day was, um, it was, it was a breezy day. It was a beautiful day, actually, much like this weekend has been. Um, warm, and it was sunny and slightly breezy, but it was not windy um, until it was. And then all of a sudden, several huge gusts of wind came right through and just started knocking over all my plants. Actually, it didn't knock over all the plants. It knocked over just the ones that I had added soil to. And uh, so I kept picking them up, and they just kept getting knocked down. And every time they would be knocked over, the, the soil that I had put um, on top would spill. 
And I don't know if you've ever tried to pick up soil uh, or dirt from the grass, but it is a largely unproductive exercise. Um, so I was getting really annoyed, actually, because um, here I'm trying to do something good, and it's just being wasted. Um, but, but I also was taken aback by the fact that it was very suddenly windy, because <laughs> it was not a windy day. And then I remembered, actually, that, uh, that God does speak through his creation. And so I stopped, and I, I asked, okay, Lord, is there something you're trying to say? Like, is there something that you want me to see in this? So I kind of waited for a minute, and, uh, and what I heard was, repot the plant. You're being lazy. Repot the plant. And so I thought, it's true. I was. I was being lazy. I was just kind of like, just putting a little bit in there, and then what was happening is, when it would spill, I would lose the new soil, and then some of the old soil would come out, and it just could, you know, endanger the, the stems and the leaves and things like that. So I thought, okay, I'm going to do this. So I picked myself up and I made a run to Home Depot and uh, grabbed the biggest bag of potting soil I could barely lift, uh, threw it in my cart, grabbed a couple new flower pots, and um, came home. I got my garden tools and my gloves, I got the whole thing, got all into it, and then I resituated myself in the backyard. And I said, all right, let's get into this, let's do it. And so I began the awkward work of... Uh, taking the plants out of their pot, and, um, and you just kind of loosen the soil that's at the bottom um, and all around, because that's the old soil, it's, and it doesn't have the same nutrients that you need it to have. And so I was trying to loosen the dirt, I was trying to loosen the root system without breaking the roots, which is a very careful exercise. And then I would take them uh, and I would put them into a brand new pot that had fresh soil in it, and I would nestle it in there, kind of make sure that it was all, you know, packed in, and then you take it and you run it underwater so that uh, everyone can get acquainted with themselves in there. And, um, and I remember at one point, I had one of the plants in my hand, and it was a, this particular plant, I was able to get all the soil out, that's how bad it was, all the dirt was knocked off, so it was literally just the root system and the plant in my hand. And I'm trying to work with the other one and refill the new pot and such. And I remember thinking, oh, it looks so vulnerable. Because <laughs> these roots are used to being, you know, tight and snug and nestled in uh, together. And they're, they're used to being in the dark, um, underground. And here they are exposed and only secured in my hand. And, uh, and I, I felt compassion for them, which I know sounds silly, but I, I am a plant mom. And so... Um, I just, I really did have compassion, and I thought, you know, okay, we're going we're gonna to get you nestled in here. But it got me thinking about change and transition and um, just how vulnerable that can be uh, to be in a season of change and how disorienting, really, when everything around you is shifting and shaking. Um, I thought about how, uh, how messy change is. <laughs> um, and how there's usually a loss of some sort. Um, but I also thought about how necessary transition and change is. Um, it's needed for, for health, for growth, and for new growth. Um, and I, I also thought about us, actually, uh, in our church, and how even at 22 years old, um, the age of Port City, I just, 
so many of us sense that God is really doing something new here in us and among us and through us. Um, I think that... um, I think that some of the things that have served us in the past and that they used to feed us um, are, are no longer feeding us and providing nutrients. I think that the root system that uh, has stabilized us and that will continue to stabilize us is being spread so that it doesn't entangle us. I think that God is refreshing our soil with new nutrients that he's going to use to bring new growth and fresh growth to produce the fruitfulness that Mike talked about a few weeks ago. Fruitfulness that will not be necessarily for us, but it will nourish others. Others. And I think, I think this is where we are. And, uh, but I think it's disorienting, and I think it can be um, scary. <laughs> but what is our role in this? Where, where do we fit? What, what do we do with all this? Well, we manage the growing conditions, right? That's our role. In uh, John 15, 5, we see this explained where Jesus says, remain in me and I will remain in you. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You can, you can bear no fruit. In uh, Matthew's gospel, he records Jesus uh, sort of saying it this way when he calls his first disciples. He says, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And this is the process of formation is that we abide in Jesus, and he produces fruit in us, through us. We follow Jesus, and Jesus forms us. And he forms us as disciples who then can reach people and help others walk with Jesus. This is the process. And the formation happens through a variety of ways, really. So it happens in the, in the quiet moments when we're with the Lord, just sitting with him, when we're in prayer, when we're worshiping him, when we're in his word, reading, trying to understand, maybe wrestling with it, maybe feeling super encouraged by it. Uh, He forms us in community, in the push and pull of learning to love people who are easy to love and maybe more challenging to love, (laughs) learning to give and learning to receive. He forms us when we serve, when we humble ourselves to give of our time and our resources um, to someone else. He humbles us, and he forms us when we give uh, financially, as Clay talked about. You know, when we offer back to the Lord something that the world tells us is our provision. And we say, no, Lord, I depend on you as the one who provides. He forms us uh, in good seasons and in hard seasons um, and in so many different ways. And I think this is a really beautiful picture of the church because when we're formed, uh, there's something in it for us personally but we also can then become part of the soil for someone else to grow. And so then there's something in it for us collectively. So that's the formation. And we don't just do that alone, as we've talked about this morning. We, we do that in community, and we're a part of that. And so what you bring to this community is, is your formation that comes from following Jesus, from walking with Jesus, from imitating Jesus, from abiding in Jesus. That's what we focus on, not the fruit. We don't go from encounter to expression. We, we focus on Jesus. We follow Jesus, and then we're formed by Jesus. And that's what we get to do. That's what we get to be a part of. And then we get to be a part of 
someone else's soil that nourishes them and helps to stabilize them. This morning, we have the opportunity to, uh, to hear an example of this from Molly Roberts, who is one of our own, and she has grown up in this church, and uh, this has been her soil. We have been her soil. So let's watch her story, and then we'll have Jeff come up and, uh, and finish with us this morning. I think I'm just really grateful for the people over the years that have seen me and called me out and invested in me and have really created a space where I feel like I belong and I have something to offer. Molly, thanks for being willing to share part of your story. So you've been involved in the church since you were four and now you're 18. That's a long time. Like, can you tell us, like, what have you been a part of throughout that time? I came in Grozone when I was four, and that's where I started. And then I've just been through every single ministry since then. So Treasure Island, Tsunami, Ripple Effect, and Overflow. I think in high school, I was really just like seeking a lot of things that weren't from him. Like I was, I really wanted to, I think, to like be seen. And my high school small group leader um, was able to kind of crash down the, the facade a little bit yeah. and like show me that she saw me for who I was, not who I was projecting. I really tried to withdraw a lot and she cared so much about yeah. me that she would like go to like whatever like to just to ask about what I was going through or what I was dealing with. So that's really what I was searching for ultimately in Jesus but to have a human representation of like this is what Christ's love looks like yeah. that's what kind of inspired me to start serving myself was just the impact she had on me. In Ripple Effect I started serving at Tsunami it's in the middle schoolers um, with host team and then eventually started leading a small group at Tsunami for the middle schoolers and I still lead them now and lead Ripple Effect and intern for Overflow. And you had been poured into and invested in by so many different people along the way that now we're like seeing the fruit yeah. of that, where you're able to like step into leadership and go like, I don't have all the answers, but I know that I have people in my corner and that makes all the difference. Investment is such a, a big concept for me. Anybody can do that, but especially when you're coming from a place of like, you've been filled up. In order to fill fill the people and invest in the people, you have to be filled up first. But like the people who are filling you up have to have done that too and have to have been filled up themselves. And I think that's something I really seen and loved about Port City is the way that leaders are formed and invested in because people are in positions where they've been invested in. And I can like see that in my own story of how I was invested in so much that I can invest in people now. But the people that invested in me were invested in by people in this church. And it's such like this this train and it's just like beautiful. And having the the young people and like the Ripple Effect students volunteering at Tsunami and the yeah. Tsunami students volunteering at Treasure Island. Yeah. Like some of my Tsunami girls serve in Treasure Island. And so they're already getting like a really tangible opportunity yeah. to like invest in people. Because formation is so personal. Mm. It's not just something that we just sit in a seat on Sunday or sit in a seat on Tuesday and just hear and consume. It's something that we have to like participate in. Going through the motions, like that doesn't allow what you're learning or what you're being discipled in to like ever really transform you or shape you. I think I'm learning a lot through pouring out when I'm not just like speaking or teaching, when I'm just serving or when I'm just having conversations with people and connecting with people. I think that's just a living out of what I'm learning. The verses I'm reading and the stories I'm hearing becomes formative when you actually get to practice it. 
Man, can we thank Molly for sharing her story with us? Molly, I, I, I see you back there. Um, so grateful. Like, I'm going to take the liberty to speak for everyone in the room and say our church is, is really grateful for you and uh, for you sharing your story. It um, is really awesome to hear. And I love that the thing that uh, Molly talks about playing such a big role in her life again and again and again is, is people right? It's us. It's the body. It's the church. Those are the people who played such a role in forming her into the image of Jesus. That's the thing that she points to repeatedly. And while formation might be this like hard thing to grasp, maybe it's a little abstract and difficult to understand, definitely hard to measure. The truth is that all of us have experienced formation in one way or another. All of us have experienced us becoming someone else over a period of time, right? Maybe you can think about it in high school. It was that group of friends that you started hanging out with that maybe you started acting more and more like them because you were around them so much. Or maybe it was that boyfriend or girlfriend and all of a sudden your entire friend group changed because they think you're not the same person anymore. Or maybe that's, it's that spouse that pushes you to be a better person and pushes you to grow over time. We've all experienced formation in one way or another. Maybe it's positive, maybe it's negative, but whenever you think about the formation that you've experienced in your life, you could probably think about a person or a people that is associated with that formation. And sure, maybe you can think of a really powerful book or sermon or song or movie or whatever that changed the way that you think about things or that taught you something important, but the truth is that those things are a lot less powerful whenever they happen outside of community when we have them outside of community. In fact, if you showed up to church every Sunday and you were the only person here other than the people on stage, it would be awkward for everyone involved. But if you did that every single Sunday, you would probably find a new church, right? Like if you were the only person here, you would find a new church because we know that church isn't church without the people. Church isn't church without us. If it's just that, all of a sudden it becomes some one-sided event rather than a gathering of people who follow Jesus. And while we all know that's, that's true, that the church is us, the church is the people, when we hear stories like Molly, most of us don't think of ourselves as someone who is going to play a role in someone's formation. Most of us don't think of ourselves as people who are a part of forming other people to the image of Christ. What we tend to think about is the pastors, the church workers, the people who know a lot about the Bible. We think about the people that maybe would say they're the experts, right? They're the ones who are good at it. So we let them do the work. And I know I thought a lot like that whenever I first uh, started walking with Jesus. And I think there's some reasons why we think like this. There's some reasons why we expect it to be the people who have it all together. Maybe it's because we have a picture of the type of person that plays a role in formation and it's just not us, right? Like you think about the person who has a lot of Bible knowledge, who knows all the answers. You think about the person who seems to have it all together and you're the people that you see as good Christians and you're like, that's just not me. That's just not who I am. Or maybe it's because you have some perceived weakness that prevents you. You have some perceived weakness in your life that prevents you from pouring into another person. You think that you're not cool enough, smart enough, young enough, perfect enough, Jesus-y enough, whatever it is, you have some perceived weakness that you think holds you back. Or maybe, and I think this is a really common one, we just think that someone else is gonna do it. We sit in a room like this on Sunday and we look around and we're like, man, there's a lot of people in here. There's a lot of people in here. Surely there's plenty of people doing the work of the kingdom in our church. Surely there is plenty of people who are playing a role and they're probably doing a better job of it than I will. So I'm just kind of getting in the way. But here's the thing. When we buy these ideas, instead of participating in the work of the kingdom that Jesus calls all of us to, if 
you call yourself a follower of Jesus, instead of participating in that work, we end up passing it off to someone else. We end up letting someone else do it for whatever our reason is. It's too hard, too complicated, too messy, too far beyond where we are, whatever it is. So let's leave it to the experts. But the problem is that whenever we leave it to the experts, there's no one left to do it. And not only that, but whenever we pass the work of the kingdom off to someone else, we stop ourselves from being formed. We stop ourselves from being formed. And all of a sudden, our growing to be more like Jesus slows to a crawl. And all of a sudden, we're not satisfied with where we are. And we look at all these external things as the problem. We're like, the sermons aren't deep enough. The song's not good enough. Whatever it is, the church isn't good enough. And we have all these reasons why we're not growing. But at the end of the day, it ends up being because we've stunted our own Growth, And I know that might sound extreme or, or, or maybe even harsh, but I really think that it's true. We cannot continually be formed to the image of Jesus by ourselves. We cannot be continually formed to the image of Jesus alone by ourselves without other people. It's just not the way that it works. And it's not what we see Jesus do, right? I think it's worth noting that uh, immediately after the exchange that Laurelin read us of Jesus saying, hey, I'm going to turn you into fishers of men. Whenever he says this to his disciples, immediately after that, he calls a few more disciples. And then the next passage says that they are going throughout Galilee, uh, preaching the gospel, teaching in synagogues, and healing people, serving people, loving people. That means... That right after these disciples got called, right after these disciples started following Jesus, they started serving people. The disciples could only get so far. We can only get so far following Jesus without serving people. And before we wrap up today, I want to look at a really beautiful example of what maybe what this can look like for us. It's in Acts 8. So if you have your Bibles with you. You can go ahead and turn there. And uh, Acts records the early acts of the church, right? It, it records the start of the early church right after Jesus ascended into heaven. This is when the church hits the ground running, right? So this is how this group of people that we call, that we say we're a part of, this is how that group of people got started. In that book, it kind of records all the events. And we're going to look at one exchange uh, with a guy named Philip the Evangelist. And this isn't the same Philip who was a disciple of Jesus. This is another Philip that we hear a lot about in Acts. And his nickname still to this day is Philip the Evangelist. And if your nickname 2,000 years later is Philip the Evangelist, then you've probably got some things to teach us about formation, right? Like that's the person that we think of whenever we think of the perfect people who have it all together, who help people walk with God. We think of the Philip the evangelists of the world. Um, and we're going to pick up at verse 26 and look at this exchange uh, that he had with someone. So it says this in verse 26, it says, An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. Get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. So he got up and he went. And there was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch and high, and high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. And he had come to worship in Jerusalem and was sitting in his chariot on his way home, reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. And the spirit told Philip, go and join that chariot. And when Philip ran up to it, he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? And I love Philip, right? We all know that if an angel shows up and tells us to do something, we're going to do it, right? Like we're all on the same page with that. Angelic being shows up and says, hey, do this. You're like, okay, I'll do it. I'm in, right? Like no questions asked. But then once he gets there, it says that the spirit leads Philip. And if you have been led by the spirit before, if you've been led by the Holy Spirit before, which if you're a follower of Jesus, you probably have, then 
you know that that's usually a pretty subtle thing, right? It's not always an angel standing in front of you telling you exactly what to do. But Philip listens, Philip obeys, he goes. In fact, it says that he runs up to the chariot. Um, and the man who was in the chariot, this, he, he was an important guy in Ethiopia, right? He was a part, he managed the treasury. He was a part of the royal court in Ethiopia. So he was an important guy. And not only that, he had his own scroll of Isaiah. So he knew how to read and he, he had his own copy, which means he was pretty intelligent and pretty wealthy and pretty important, which Philip was not, right? Philip was not wealthy and important and well-known, but this guy was. Philip might have felt pretty inadequate in that moment. He probably felt like, I am not the right person for this job right now, but he goes nonetheless, right? And the man is reading, um, reading Isaiah, and he hears him reading Isaiah, and I love that he just asks him a question. He says, hey, do you understand what you're reading? He doesn't preach at him. He doesn't say, let me give you three points about the book of Isaiah. He just says, hey, do you understand what you're reading? I love what the man says back. This is in verse 31. He says, how can I unless someone guides me? How can I understand the scripture unless someone guides me? So he invites Philip to come up and sit with him. This eunuch, he knows that he needs someone to come alongside him. He knows that he's not going to understand it on his own. And to be a man who is riding in a chariot, reading your own scroll, he is inviting Philip, who is down in the dirt, traveling on foot, up into his world. He says, come up here, which would have been pretty humbling for Philip to step into this man's world. And share, uh, he gets up there and he shares the scripture that he's reading with him. It's Isaiah 53. And uh, Isaiah 53 prophesies about Jesus. And he reads him this verse, and I'm sure Philip in his head is like, this is the best setup ever, right? And he says, who, the, the, the Ethiopian man asks him, who is this verse talking about? And uh, Philip explains to him, this verse is talking about Jesus. And he preaches the gospel to him. And we can assume that this Ethiopian man, the eunuch, receives the gospel well because of what happens next. In verse 36, it says, as they're traveling down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, there's water. What would keep me from being baptized? So he ordered the chariot to stop, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. It's a beautiful story, right? It's so cool. It, like, happens right away. He, like, accepts Jesus and gets baptized, like, five seconds later. It's the way we all want it to go down, right? It's awesome. Uh, but I think it's really easy to gloss past the question that he asked. What could stop me from being baptized? And maybe we read that like kind of jovial, like what could stop me now? But lots of scholars don't think that's what he was saying. Lots of scholars thought that this man had tried to convert to Judaism before, but he was unable because he was a eunuch. There was Old Testament law that kept him from being able to convert. So some scholars think that whenever he asked this, he was expecting a negative answer. He was expecting, well, you can't be baptized or you can't follow Jesus because of this, this, and this. So maybe he was asking that question, looking for a roadblock, expecting to be stopped in this tracks, but there isn't one. So he gets baptized right there. And I love this story for a lot of reasons, but whenever it comes to us playing a role in the formation of others, I think there's a lot for us to learn here. Philip played a super important role in this guy's life, and it was only for a moment. Right? It was only for a second, but it changed everything for him. The next verse says he goes on his way rejoicing. So whenever it comes to us today, how do we become more like Philip as a church? How do we play an intimate, real role in the formation of the followers of Jesus on your left and on your right? How do we do that? First, I think like Philip, we have to learn to trust the Spirit. 
When the Spirit led Philip, he trusted it. He got up and went, right? He listened. Even though he wasn't the perfect person for the job, even though he wasn't as important and wealthy and smart as this guy was, he didn't have it all together, but Philip trusted the Spirit to lead him. And for so many of us in the room, we have all the reasons in the world of why we're not the right person to disciple someone, why we're not the right person to come alongside someone in their formation. We have all the reasons in the world. We think we're not, we're just not the right person. We're not the perfect person. We don't have the perfect walk with Jesus. I'm not the best person in the world to be doing this. And guess what? You're not. You're not the perfect person in the world to be doing this. I'm not the perfect person in the world to be helping people walk with Jesus. None of us are the perfect people in the world to be helping others walk with Jesus. But luckily, we have a God who uses broken people to do really, really beautiful things. And not only that, but he has given you his perfect spirit inside of you to lead you. And we have to learn to trust the spirit. Next up, to be like Philip, we have to meet people where they are. Whenever Philip meets this Ethiopian man, he goes up into his chariot, right? He doesn't ask him to come down to his world. He doesn't say, hey, come, come here. He, he, he steps into this world. Taking part in the formation of others requires us to meet people exactly where they are, which means there is no one that is too far gone, too broken, too messed up to be a part of this body, right? To be welcomed here and loved here. There is nobody in the world that is too far gone for that. And all of us, all of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus are capable of meeting people where they are and loving them exactly where they are. And there's a lot of different ways that we can do this, right? I love in Molly's story, she talks about her small group leader in high school that kept reaching out to her even whenever she was pulling back. That small group leader met Molly exactly where she was. Um, but sometimes it, it looks even different than that, right? Sometimes it's simple. Sometimes it's opening doors on Sunday and making someone feel welcome. Sometimes it's serving someone coffee when they're really tired in the morning. Sometimes it's taking care of someone's child down the hallway while they're in service. Sometimes it is hanging out with a room full of middle schoolers on Wednesday night. God help us, right? Like <laughs> there's a lot of different ways that we can meet people where they are and they don't always look how we think that we're going to look. And then lastly is this, we have to learn to allow God to use us. You have to learn to allow God to use you. Philip listened. He was obedient to the point that it said he ran, right? When the spirit told him to go next to the caravan, it says he, he runs up to the caravan. He's excited about it. He's enthusiastic about it. I, I love that. Like, I want to be more like Philip. When the spirit leads me, I want to run to where he is calling me. And the truth is, is that there's not a lot of things that will form you into the image of Jesus faster than, than serving and loving people. And it's so easy to stunt our own growth with God by, re by refusing to jump in, by thinking that we're not the right person for the job. But whenever we do, whenever we step into situations where we're meeting people where they are, where we're trusting the spirit, where we're loving people as they are, God can form us so fast because we end up dependent on him. If you've ever been in a situation where you're totally relying on the Spirit, there's not a lot of things in this world that can form you to Jesus faster than that. And these, these interactions are littered throughout the gospel, right? And that sort of service and love and meeting people where they are, that should be our calling card as followers of Jesus. That is how we should be known. And I think that all of us are capable of doing those things, of allowing God to use us um, capable of meeting people where they are and capable of trusting the Spirit. 
So I wanna invite you while you're not the perfect person in the world for the job, God wants to use you anyways. And I think it's really, really easy to let someone else do the job that God is calling you to do. But God doesn't want someone else to do the job that he's calling you to do. God wants you to do the job that God is calling you to do. And I would love to invite you to step into that today. And in a moment, whenever we walk out, uh, there's gonna be a lot of different tables outside that represent different places of the church where you can serve, where you can trust the spirit, where you can meet people where they are. And I would love to invite you to let the spirit lead you like Philip, like the spirit led Philip, right? Ask them to do that. And don't hear me saying, like, what I'm not saying is that the only way you can be formed to the image of Jesus is by volunteering at church. That is not what I'm saying. In fact, one of the most important places we have to learn to serve and love people and meet them where they are is outside of the walls of this church, right? It's at work, it's at school, it's whenever we're driving down the road, it's with our family, right? We all have to learn to do that. It's a very important place to live that way. But sometimes we, we think that we're going to leave and start serving today. We all have these great intentions of doing it, but lots of times we need help learning what it looks like. And there are some really easy, tangible places that you can step into this here at this church as a part of our body. And not only that, but I do think, and this, is the, this can, can feel hard sometimes, but if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, who are a part of this church, this body, you call Port City home, we have a responsibility to our body. We have a responsibility to the people in this room, to the people on our left and our right. We have a responsibility to serve them and love them and be a part of their formation. So instead of passing the work of the kingdom off to other people, maybe let's take a chance and learn how to do it together. I'd love to pray for us. God, thank you for giving us your spirit. Thank you for being a God who uses broken people to do really beautiful things. Lord, I pray that you'd uh, help us trust you today. That while, you know, we have all these feelings about we're the wrong person, we don't know how to do it, we don't know enough, we're not young enough, cool enough, whatever it is. God, I, I just pray that you give us confidence in your spirit. Not in ourselves, but in your spirit, God. That we could feel your spirit pull and trust your spirit to wherever that is. Whether it's here, whether it's outside the walls, God. Whatever it is that you would use service and love to help us be a part of the formation of others and in turn continue to be formed ourselves. So God, we just invite the Spirit to lead us today. We invite you to lead us today, God. You to lead us to where you want us to be and we pray that we would be faithful servants, God. Brave servants, confident servants in you, Lord. So we just pray that over everyone in this room today, God. We pray that we would be conduits of your, your love and grace to everyone around us. In Jesus' name, amen.